morning. Let's take our Bibles. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 2. As we get into God's Word, we're going to continue in a series. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We're celebrating Jesus uh, December, the whole month of December. Um, but you know, honestly, we need to celebrate Jesus every day of our life. Amen? Uh, he is the reason why it's the most wonderful time of the year. So Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to continue in this series with you. And as you're uh, taking up the offering, I just want to encourage you. We, we sang a song about the holiness of God. And uh, sometimes I'm not so holy, at least I don't feel so holy. Anybody else in the house like that? All four of us, right? Tony, thank you for putting your hand up. Any of There's a lot of times we're not holy, and so singing a song like that can be very convicting. And so the Bible says that we, uh, as men, are to lift up holy hands. Uh, it does mean two women, it just uh, it specifically as men, and uh, leading the way, hopefully in your homes, men, uh, to be holy examples. And so, but lifting up holy hands is very important. It doesn't necessarily mean your hand going up in the air during a song. But I try to do that as symbolic before the Lord. To say, Lord, I just want my life to be holy before you. Uh, I want it to be pure. I want to strive for holiness. And so, but uh, a lot of times it isn't, isn't always the case because there's a thought that goes through my mind or a desire in my heart or maybe a word comes out of my mouth, maybe an attitude. And so unholiness can manifest in so many different ways, right? So here's what I want to do. Does anybody in the house need a little bit more holiness in your life? Because you think, you know what, the last week, maybe the last year, I've done some things, thought some things, said some things that might not be so holy. Raise your hand. Is there anybody? It should be every hand going up in the house, right? So here's what I want you to do. Just keep your hands up. If you want to put both hands. God, we pray that you would help our life to be holy. Not just singing a song about the holiness of God, but help us to lift holy hands, a lifestyle. This is why they did this. They lifted up their hands saying, this is my life. I'm giving you my life, Lord, and I want it to be holy. I want it to be righteous. I want it to be pure. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Holiness of God. Matthew chapter 2. This is the most wonderful time of the year. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go with me down uh, Christmas classics, movie classics. When you think of Christmas movies, you think immediately maybe Hallmark, right? Hallmark had some great Christmas movies. Don't have cable anymore. Can't watch it. I'm going through withdrawals, Hallmark withdrawals. I said to my wife, can we just turn it on so we can watch the Hallmark Christmas movies? I need to watch those. Of course, when you Hallmark Christmas movies all have the same script, right? <laughs> it's all the same story. You know, and he even has the same actors. You're like, hey, I remember that guy or that girl, you know. And so we're not talking about Hallmark Christmas movies. I want to talk about some classics. See if you know some of these. We're going to show these on the screen behind me. So watch this. Who's this? You know your classics, huh? How about the next one? Oh, slow it down just a little bit. This is, we're getting a little bit older here. I mean, obviously, this is going back a few years. Any idea what this one is? Miracle on 34th Street. Do you know who the, the little girl is there? What's her name, her real name? Yeah. All right, how about one more? Look at this one. What is it called? There you go. It's called A Christmas Carol. Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a classic uh, written in 1864. 
Anybody know the author of that? Charles Dickens. That book has never gone out of print, believe it or not, since then. In fact, on Christmas Eve, it sold out. Uh, this story of A Christmas Carol is really want to be a jumping point off into our message this morning. And so Charles Dickens lived a life that was very difficult. The surroundings of his life and his upbringing were hard uh, in the earlier years. You know the story, if you've seen this movie or read the book, you got people in the story, uh, Bob Cratchit, right, and Tiny Tim, his son. So as you're watching this movie, it's a very difficult movie to watch, at least it was for me. But by the end of the story, what happens on Christmas morning, right? He's a different guy. He's a different man. Matthew chapter 2, I've titled this message in our series, it's the most wonderful time of the year, Discernment in Difficult Days. That's the title of this message, Discernment in Difficult Days. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 2, I want you to look at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born, where was he born? In Bethlehem, it doesn't say Reading, it says Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, what's the next phrase there? In the days of Herod the king. There's the difficult days. I want you to stop there. Okay, so we're talking about discernment in difficult days. Difficult days. Jesus was born into difficult days, the reign of King Herod. This is a guy that you do not want to invite over to Christmas dinner. Herod was not a good guy. He had the title or the name of the king of the Jews. And so right off the bat, he's, <laughs> he's off to a horrible start taking that name. And so there is only one king of the Jews, right? And that king is coming. And so Herod was referred to as Herod the Great. Think about that for a second, Herod the Great. I mean, who calls themselves that? You know, if I went up to Andy, hey, Andy, and he goes, I am Andy the Great, you know. I, well, I am Chris the Great. You know, it just doesn't, it, this is a man who is a megalomaniac. He is a man who is brutal. He is ruthless. He's a mean man. He's a mean ruler, referring to himself as Herod the Great again, king of the Jews, Herod the Great. He's off to a bad start. He had his own wife murdered. So the wife wasn't at Christmas dinner a whole lot. Then he had his kids, and his kids weren't out cutting down the Christmas tree to bring it in. He had his own kids, some of his own kids, drowned. But that wasn't enough. Relatives came over for Christmas celebration, and he poisons them and kills some of his relatives. This is Herod. He's known as Herod the Great. And when he ruled, it was difficult days. These were hard days. These were very, very painful days to try to live your life. And this is the days that Jesus was born. I want to define discernment. You'll see it on the screen. Here's what discernment is. It's perception with a view of obtaining spiritual direction and understanding. We need discernment. Discernment. It's able, to, it's able to read the spiritual horizon. It's able to tell between right and wrong, righteousness and unrighteousness. It's be able to tell what is demonic and what is angelic. It's able to see beyond the natural into the supernatural. It's be able to have a perception on how to live life and navigate life in a way that is honorable and pleasing to the Lord. That's discernment. Look at some verses with me. I got some on the screen with you. Can we turn those? And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all, what? Discernment. This is Philippians. And so Paul is wanting the Philippian Christians to have this ability to perceive right and wrong, good and bad, evil and, and darkness. And he wants them to be able to walk through their Christian life in a way that is, is faithful to God. 
Here's another one. Let's look at this verse here. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's discernment. The question would be, do, do we as believers have discernment? <clears throat> and so when you go through difficult days, and difficult days aren't just at Christmas time for some. We want to be super sensitive to those people who at Christmas time, it's very hard. But difficult days will be for the rest of your life at various times, right? I'm watching some of you, and I've known you for, some of you for about a year and a half now. And when I first met you, you weren't experiencing difficult days, but since that first encounter that I've had with you, you've experienced difficult days. Some of you I've just met because you're coming to Harvest Reading for the first time, and you're going to be going through difficult days maybe six months from now, maybe a year from now. And that might manifest in different ways. You're going to need discernment. You're going to need to know how to navigate through all of that. And in our text, there are some ways that we can do that. There are some ways that we can make it through all of what God has for us. Now, there's three. I want to show you three. So write these down. Write these in your, your little outline if you have that. Here's how we can know the presence of the Lord or the closeness of God. This is how we develop discernment in difficult days. You do that by, number one, looking seriously into what God has already said in Scripture. That's number one. Looking seriously into what God has already said in the Scripture. Go back to verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, there's the difficult days. Behold, wise men. They came from the east to Jerusalem. I want you to stop there. I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the context because if you read just a little bit lower, you'll see that they saw a star. Okay, so the wise men see a star. We know that it's a physical manifestation. We know that it's coming out of their eyesight. I mean, they're, they're looking, they're using their eyes. They're actually looking at his star, the text says. It doesn't say a star. <clears throat> and so there's a significance to that as well. Let's talk a little bit about the wise men. I, I've never been called a wise man. I, in fact, I've been called a wise guy <laughs> a whole lot, right? Anybody else with me when you were a teenager? You, you ever got that, right, Alex? Come on. You're a wise guy. <clears throat> Let me give you a little tr uh, trivia question here. How many wise men do you think that there were? Put your hands up. Wise men. How many? Anybody? We got three over here. Anybody else want to take a guess? We got four. You, uh, typically, uh, traditionally, we think it's three. Why do we think it's three? Anybody know? Yeah, there's three gifts. So uh, it's actually not three wise men. There, there's probably several dozen, maybe even up to 100. It's a caravan of, of people, of men coming from the east. These are the wise men. It's very interesting to know a little bit about the wise men. So let me give you a little bit of background on what's going on here. Uh, the Greek word is magos, M-A-G-O-S, or magi. You might have heard them referred to that before. And so the English transliteration of that has been really distorted. And so some of our texts actually say magicians. And when you think of a magician, who do you think about, right? I think about David Copperfield, right? And so the guy that makes elephants disappear and airplanes disappear and all that. Well, these weren't magicians that were making camels disappear or anything like that. These were a different breed of people. These are high-ranking officials. It says in the text that they're from the east east of Jerusalem. So they're, they're from the east. That's out in the Babylonian area or Babylon. And so you can go there today and right south of Baghdad, about 45 miles or so are the sites of what was known as Babylon. So you have the wise men coming from the east to Jerusalem. And these are 
These are wise men, high-ranking officials. They studied things like astronomy, which a lot of people uh, study today. There were those who studied astrology, and that would be more the superstition of all those things. They studied uh, they studied ancient documents, and they, and they studied the origins of things. And so the wise men were brilliant. They had the ability to be able to look at all of this and try to discern what was going on in their world in Babylon. Their belief system was very similar to the Jewish belief system. They had a blood sacrificial, just like the Jews. Now, remember, this is a distorted. I mean, these people are, are deceived in, in some ways, and so but there's this parallel between the wise men and this powerful group of, of people that were able to read the stars and astrology and, and ancient documents, uh, and, but there was this distortion of things. And so, but they did have this blood sacrificial system like the Jewish people had. They had the altars of fire, similar again to the Jews, and they were monotheistic, meaning that they believed in one God. And so you have wise men in the Old Testament. I want to show you some of them. And Daniel, I think I have this on the screen here. I want to show you these verses. Here's Nebuchadnezzar. We looked at Nebuchadnezzar some time ago. He was at ease in my house, prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid, and I lay in bed. The fancies and visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me. So you got wise men in Babylon. These are several hundred years before Jesus even came. Now, who else was in Babylon? Who was taken from Jerusalem and and kind of deported and taken back to Babylon. Do you remember that guy? Anybody? <clears throat> it was Daniel. So Daniel's in Babylon. You got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're listed there in the book of Daniel. And so you have these wise men that are listed here uh, that are being mentioned. So let's keep going down through the verses. Uh, I lost my place here. Uh, then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, who are you? there he is. Daniel came before me, he who was named Belshazzar, that was a name that they gave Daniel to try to manipulate, that's what you do in a cult, you give different names, and that's what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do, all these young guys, Daniel got that name, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and I told him the dream, saying, let's just keep going through that, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Um, what we have here again is the wise men. And so the wise men and Daniel. Now this is beautiful because Daniel rises up. And, and Daniel could really be looked at as one of the wise men. Now what I personally believe uh, that those people who were in Babylon were heavily influenced by Daniel who believed in the one true God. And Daniel knew that there would become a Messiah down the road. And so Daniel's influencing all of these wise men. And I really think that in and through that influence, these wise men, these magi, were being converted. There are people being born again. Now, you have a lot of paganism in all of that. But you have these that Daniel is influencing in the days of the Babylonian captivity that uh, he was influencing with the truth of God. And some of them were believing. It says here in the text, Matthew chapter 2, that they have come to worship him. I love that. They have come to worship him. So closeness to God will always be connected to his word, the Bible, the scripture. We need to be intimately involved with the word of God. 
We have to have the scripture become to us the food. I think it says that in Jeremiah, that I found it and I ate it and it became to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Now I say that with conviction. I say that with passion because the word of God, this is the key to discernment. You cannot have spiritual discernment if you don't know the text of scripture. If you don't take in the word of God and you don't understand it and love it and live it, discernment will not happen. So you're going through difficult days and you're battling and you're struggling and you got all of these extra problems. It's because you're not connected as much as you need to be to the truth of the word of God. That's how you get discernment. There's no separating that. The wise men, they're studying Old Testament prophecies. They saw it in the word of God before the star manifested. They saw it hundreds of years before because they were looking at these Old Testament scrolls and they're looking at the prophecies that were given. The word of God, the scriptures. I can remember many, many years ago after I got born again, I was working as a glass cutter and I wasn't married at the time. We were making plans on getting married, and, and I was studying the Bible like eight or nine hours a day. Every day I would study it, and, and I would be crying, and the tears would be flowing. And, and I just remember the tears falling on the pages of my Bible as I'm studying for hour after hour and after hour. And it was just so wonderful. The Word of God was coming alive to me. Now, why was such a profound experience at the early part of my Christian life? Well, because years and years later, I would face some traumatic experiences. And I would need to know how to discern and to make it through those difficult days. And if I didn't have the word of God as a regular part of my life, trying to understand it and live it out, I don't know what would have happened during those difficult days. We need the scripture. We need the Bible. Let me give you a little slogan. You don't have to write this down, but I really believe this could be original. I don't know if I've ever heard it anywhere else. Nothing's original, right? Probably somewhere. You'll find it. But I think it's original. So it's this. It's called Chris Crow Crow, um, Quote. I almost said Chris Crow Cult. That was pretty scary. Wow. Anybody that's new, it's not all about that. We're not following any man. Here's what it is. This is a quote. Uh, what you desire, you do. Haven't I said that to you, hon, through the years? Whatever you desire, you do. Everything. You sat over there because you desired that, right? Uh, you're listening to me because you desire to. Everything that we do, there's a desire at the front end of that. Now, if that was not the case, you'd be certifiably nuts. You'd have some serious, serious mental problems. But even those people who are way out there on the fringes of society who have done horrific things, still, whatever you desire, you do. That's across the board. So when we talk about the Bible, it's like Christians, what is it, like 78% of, of believers, professing Christians, what is it, 87%, it's even higher, own a Bible, 87%, but only 22% read it a little bit every single day. Listen. Whatever you desire, you do. And so uh, when you're hungry, your body is telling you something, right? And there's a desire mixed into all of that. And then what you do is you usually go to Chick-fil-A, right? So I was at Chick-fil-A the other day making a run for my wife. And 
And so that the line went all the way around the building. <laughs> People are there because they desire to be there and they desire to eat. Do you want to know why Christians aren't in their Bibles 87%, 22%? It's because you don't desire it. Why? Think about the seriousness of that. The reason why you're not doing it is because you're not desiring it. You can't discern without the Bible. I can remember years ago at Liberty University when I was in school, and uh, there was an evangelism course called Evangelism 101. I remember the teacher, Sumner Wemp. Uh, he would be like 130 years old right now because he was about 120 back then. He was an old guy. And so but he had an, a, a class called Evangelism 101, and we had to memorize 100 <laughs> verses of Scripture. I just want you to know I'm not a good memorizer. Anybody else in the house like that? And so... I remember going through my, with my friends. We'd go back to our dorm room, and we'd be, like, trying to do these verses, a hundred verses to be able to pass this course. Now, as we went through those verses, do you think those verses became life to me? Do you think those verses just meant the world to me? Do you think tears came out of my eyes because I was in the Word of God and memorizing the Word of God? No. I was doing it just for, a, you know, because a teacher asked, because of a grade. That's the way that Christians live their life. It, this isn't, like, living to people. This thing needs to be like if you're drowning out there and somebody throws you a life ring, you would grab a hold of that life ring and you'd be like, yes, I'm going to live. I'm going to survive. That's what the word of God is right here. It's like you got to get to that place. I can remember when I first got born again. I got born again at liberty. I thought I was saved. I wasn't really saved. I got born again again. I don't really believe that. I just was not really born again before. And so I remember, I, I just remember going back to my dorm room and, and Keith Snow, who, who was a great guy, he goes, Chris, I want you to have my Bible. And he had this, this red King James Version that it was his Bible. And he goes, Chris, I, want, I came back to my dorm room. They're high-fiving me. Chris got born again. He really knows Jesus. Keith says, here, have my Bible. And I took that Bible. And every night I slept with it. I was like, I put it on my head. I'm like, oh. That was the beginning. The Bible being very important survive. This is what we see in the text. These wise men were looking way before the star into the Old Testament prophecy. And we need to be looking seriously into Scripture. How about number two? How do you develop discernment in difficult days? Well, you've got to be open to leaving where you are and going to where God wants you to be. I want you to look at verse 2. There's, a, there's just two words there, have come. It, it says there, they have come. We have come. This is referring to the wise men. We're trying to get a perspective on them. Last week it was Joseph and Mary. Next week will be Herod. But this week it's the wise men's perspective on Jesus' birth. But it says here that they, they have come. There's two empires that are ruling at the time. I mean, the Roman Empire we know about. And that's Herod. Herod worked for Caesar. He worked for Rome. And he's overseeing Israel in those places. And so you got the Roman Empire coming out of Italy. And then you have the Eastern Empire, which was where Babylon is. And so now you have these wise men who are very powerful people coming from Babylon. And they're coming west. And they're going to land in Jerusalem. Now, when you have the Roman Empire battling against the Eastern Empire for centuries, 
you have a battlefield that's right there in the middle. So now you have the wise men that are coming from the east, and what's Herod thinking? It says he was troubled. Why was he troubled? Well, you got these people coming, hundreds maybe. Not just these three guys that you see on a card. These are guys that are marching because they saw a star, and they know there's a king, and, and he's called the king of the Jews, and he's going to be out of a job, and so he's, he's troubled. I love this about the wise men. I love that they set out. They set out to travel and to go such a great distance. Let's talk a little bit about how far this might have been. Remember, there's no planes, there's no cars, buses, bikes, or trains. There's only animals. And so you might get on a camel or maybe a donkey or maybe on foot. So from Babylon to Jerusalem is about 800 miles. Well, today that wouldn't be a big deal. That's like from here to Atlanta. That's about a 12-hour drive. Not so bad, right? It's about a two-hour flight on an airplane. But if you're on a camel or you're on a donkey or walking by foot, you're, you're talking about over 40 days of traveling from Babylon to Jerusalem. And so these guys are leaving familiarity. They're leaving what's comfortable, moving into difficult territory. Remember, it's ruled by Rome. They're leaving the Eastern Empire. And they're leaving things behind for this journey to go see that who is born of the Jews, the new king, King Jesus. It's dangerous, not easy. Let me ask you a question. Where is God calling you to go? Not geographically. God has called my wife and I to go geographically to other places that were very hard. We were leaving behind things. Not everybody's meant to leave something geographically, but we're all meant to leave places when it comes to spiritual things. And so we're holding on to comfort zones and things that are familiar, and we walk in fear and we stay over here, but God is saying, no, I want you to, I want you to leave that, and I want you to travel to a place that I have for you. It's a better place. It's a stronger place. See, you're over here, and you're full of anxiety, and you're full of those things that have been holding on to you for so many years, strongholds, and God is saying, no, you need to leave now. It's time for you to leave. You gotta go from where you are to where I want you to be. This is how you develop discernment. This is what the wise men were doing. As they're traveling, they're looking at this star. They're looking up into the heavens, and they're leaving these things behind, not knowing really what's going to happen to them when they get into Herod territory. But Jesus is there. The king is there. And I really sense that in this church, there are people by the dozens who are being called to leave places where you've been as a Christian. And now he's saying, I want you to travel. I want you to travel closer to what I have for you. I want you to go towards Jesus. I want you to go towards my presence for you. And you're thinking, well, I don't know. This is scary. There's anxiety in my heart. That means I need to make some changes in my life. This is a call for all Christians. Can I just tell you that when Lisa and I were called to leave places, to go to places that God wanted us to go, again, not geographically, but places in our relationship with him, the only time that discernment really started to develop is when we left. Because when you leave these places, then it becomes the real deal. That's when you really need faith. See, if you want to stay over here the rest of your Christian life, that's not going to require any faith. So God's going to call you to leave, right? Leave. So some of you have left some things. It's been hard, right? We've got some young people, Alberizis. Their son went to school. What's the name of your school? Seton? So that was hard. I remember when I left my comfort zone in Delaware, went to Liberty University. I didn't know anybody, 6,000 people. I was dropped off there. 
You talk about leaving a comfort zone. Has that been hard for you, and honestly, in some ways? Yeah, it's hard. Is it going to be good for you in the ultimate end? Sure. Where's God calling you to leave? That's how discernment is developed. It's so good for you, man. Just keep pressing on. Seriously. Keep pressing on. You'll go into the Lord. You'll be like, Lord, ah, this is scary. God, I don't know. I don't know if I can deal with this. And then you'll press into the Lord, and he'll start speaking to you and start leading you like you've never been led before. That's how discernment is developed. Let's try to answer a question here. I, I don't know if it's a question you've ever thought, but uh, you ever thought, what is the star? What was that star? Right? I've thought that. I've watched a lot of videos on what the star might have been. There's a lot of, uh, of speculation about what it, what it was. And so there's the, the stars were aligning, you know, at various times of the year. It was a perfect alignment where the star just became super bright. Uh, some would refer to it as a supernova or, or, or something along those lines. But I, I think it's really something very similar to Exodus 13 and 14. I think there's a picture on the screen of what that might have looked like. It was referred to as a pillar of fire. <clears throat> and this is at night. This is what guided the children of Israel through the wilderness, right? And so during the day, it was called a pillar of cloud. So I don't think it was this star that just got really bright. It was like Venus or something. I don't think it was that. I think it was a supernatural manifestation of the presence of God. And so in the distance, 800 miles away, they're like looking up into the heavens, and they see this thing that might have represented this. Funny how Christmas cards can cause us to go, oh, just look at that little drummer boy, you know, and it was way different than that. I think the star was this Shekinah glory is what the Bible refers to it, the Shekinah glory of God. And these wise men are leaving their life. They're leaving the things behind to go where Jesus. I remember talking to Henry Blackaby many years ago. He's a great old man, uh, loves the Lord, loves Jesus, great Bible teacher. Just shook his hand. When I was shaking his hand, I'm like, this is a godly man. It was just, it was like Holy Spirit was doing something in that moment. I'm thinking, there's not too many men that are as godly as this guy. I remember walking away from that, but this is what he said uh, to us. He said, go where God is moving. The wise men, Old Testament prophecies, I think a lot of them are born again, saved in Old Testament sense. They're looking at the Shekinah glory, and they're saying, you know what? I'm going there. This is where I'm going, right here. And so this is where God is calling you to leave. Leave this other place where you've been, and just keep going, and keep going, and keep going. And some of you are going to have to leave some people behind. Sometimes I've seen spouses that have to leave their spouse behind, spiritually. Because they're not ready. They're not coming, right? And so I encourage men all the time to do this. You know, but my wife, and no, 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 you just keep following where Jesus is calling. You, you keep leaving. Keep going to this place. There's a lot of women in churches across this country that are coming to church by themselves. And they just desperately want their husband to come. Wait a minute, no, just, just focus on leaving where these places are, you know, and, and don't stay locked into that just because your husband's not. You just keep going with Jesus. Keep following that Shekinah glory, you know, where he wants you to go. It's about number three. Let's finish this up here. It's in verse 12. This is how you, <clears throat> you discern during difficult days, by listening to what God says even when you don't fully understand. Did you get that? I love verse 12. If you look there with your own eyes in the text, being warned in a dream. This is the wise men. They're being warned in a dream. And God is a, 
he is speaking. We looked at that last Lord's Day. He spoke to Joseph in a dream. Verse 13, you'll see that Joseph picks up another dream. The wise men get warned by a dream. Herod is asking for a report back. And, of course, the wise men hear the angel of the Lord, and they go a different way, and they head back home. Now, listen. I think what was going on here is that the wise men didn't fully, completely grasp everything that was going on. And sometimes God's going to speak to us, and we're not going to really understand completely all that's going on. Let me just ask my wife that question, right, babe? So when we left Arizona to come to the East Coast, did we understand everything? Did God reveal every single step, every bit of information that we would ever need to be able to make that decision? No. No. We stepped out. And try to listen to the Lord. He's going to speak to you. He's, he's going to give you a word. It might come in a dream. It might come through the text of Scripture. It might come through another believer. But you need to be listening. Are you a good listener? During difficult days, you've got to develop listening skills. You've got to get to that place where you can hear the voice of the Lord. What did Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice. He doesn't say my sheep hear my scripture. Am I against the scripture? No, I just told you verse in front. I mean, point number one, I'm all about the Bible. But there's times where, where God's voice is going to speak to you. Never contradicting scripture. Don't do that because he wrote the scripture. So the Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. You've got to have a listening, listening ear. Man, there's a lot of voices in our world. There's a lot of noise in our world, isn't there? Can I do something with you just real quick? I want everybody, when I say, okay, ready, your mark is set, go. When I say go, I just want you to start talking to the person next to you. Just start having conversation. Really? Okay, on your, on your mark, get set, go. Just start having conversation. Just start talking. Talk, keep talking. Go ahead. Ask them their name. Ask them on a date, all right? All right. <clears throat> hey, Dennis, how's it going back there? What was Andy talking about down here? You got a date. Awesome. Hopefully it's your wife, right? You can't hear what Andy's talking about. You can't hear the person behind you, what they're talking about. Because there's so much noise. There's so many voices clamoring. And that's our life. That's our world. And when you have that many voices and you have that, that much noise, it's really hard to hear the voice of God. It really is. Let me show you some verses. Psalm 81, verses 1 down to verse 13. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine. The sweet lyre with the harp, blow the trumpet at the new moon and the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree to Joseph, in Joseph, when he went over to the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear o, hear, o my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but, but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not what? To what? 
voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow after their own counsel. Oh, that my people would, what? Listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. You're saying that's Israel. No, that's for the church today. Because Israel was the church of the Old Testament. It was the people of God in the Old Testament. Like I just hear the Lord saying to us, but my people will not listen. My people will not hear. And they won't do what I've asked them to do. Mark chapter 4, I think I have these on the screen too. Verses 1 down to verse 3. What is it? Is it Mark 4, 1 to 3? Oh, not yet. Okay, we'll skip that. <clears throat> Mark chapter 4, 1 to 3, if you want to take a peek at that. Again, talking about the listening. Our listening skills, our discernment. Here's what I think that God is saying to some of us this morning about this. Will you listen to me and heed it? And maybe God is calling you. Maybe he's speaking to you. Maybe he's saying to you, I want you to give up this habit. It's a habit that you need to lay down. Maybe God is saying, don't buy that right now. Maybe someday, but not now. So listen. Maybe the Lord is saying to you, stop running from me. Listening during difficult days, they're very important. Now go, let's go to Acts. I just want to close with this illustration because I think this is super important. It's the life of the Apostle Paul. And of course, Paul had a, a listening ear. He, he really heard God. Uh, he believed in the Bible, right, the Apostle Paul? Actually, he wrote most of the New Testament. But he also heard the voice of the Lord. And so he's leaving these places in his life. It's quite amazing. He leaves Ephesus, and he heads to Jerusalem. And, of course, I think the people of God were concerned about Paul heading to Jerusalem because that's where he was going to be in some trouble. And, uh, of course, people were against him and all of that. And, and then from Jerusalem, of course, he's arrested there in Jerusalem, and then he appeals to Caesar in Rome. And so he leaves Jerusalem, and now he's going to get on a ship, and he's going to travel <coughs> to Rome. Let me see if I can illustrate this with you. Follow, me, follow with me along as we go through Matthew, Acts chapter 27, uh, verses 1 to 4. Let's do this. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, of course, Rome is in Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. <clears throat> and embarking in a ship of Adramedium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Let's keep going through this. Coasting along with difficulty, this is an easy trip for Paul, we came to the place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time has passed and the voyage was now dangerous, okay, this is so similar to what the wise men were experiencing. So, so similar to what Joseph and Mary were finding themselves in in the days of Herod. Because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our own lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot or the captain of the ship 
to the owner of the ship than to what Paul was saying. So you got this group of people. Paul's here. Paul's hearing the voice of God. He's leaving all these places because God's calling him. He's doing everything that we need to do in our Christian life so that we can have the discernment the apostle Paul had. Now he's heading to Rome, and you got this people that are in this situation on this ship. Paul's giving out the word. He's giving out this advice. They, they turn against Paul, not receiving the word, not listening to what Paul had to say. Let's try to go through more of this here. Now, that when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster. You get a lot of those up in New England. That's what we called those, northeastern. They struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground onto Citrus, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since they were, we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And we, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. You got anything else? Is that it? Just a little bit more. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have what? Paul's just the voice box of the Lord. He's the, he's the revelation. You should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. I love this. Because nothing's going to stop Paul from getting to Caesar. Paul's going to go to Rome and he's going to die. But he needs to get to Rome. He needs to fulfill the purposes of God. Nothing is going to stand before you. It's the same thing in our life. Listen, beloved. It's the same thing. The principles are here. You might not be going to Rome. You might not go and see Caesar. But the principles are there. This is how God leads us. We listen to him. And we leave these places. And we know the scripture. And we're discerning what he's doing in all of our lives. This is the life of this man. He's a great man, the Apostle Paul. Behold, God has granted you all <clears throat> those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you. But we must run aground on some islands. I think that's it, right? What an example the Apostle Paul was. God's plans for him included difficulties. God's plans for you include difficulties. If we were to get on a plane and we were to travel over to China, we were to talk to Christians in China, they would get it completely. We don't get it in American culture. But you know what's coming? It's coming to this country. Persecution is coming. We're not going to be ready as Christians. We're just not. We're not going to be able to discern our way and navigate our way through them. Because we're not in the word of God like we should. And Christians refuse to leave places that God is calling them to leave to go to places of greater intimacy with him. They just don't leave. And our listening skill, when he speaks to us, we just don't listen anymore. 
Can I ask you to stand? We're going to sing a song. I pray it's a closing song of worship, but also prayer. Christy Ahrens isn't with us today. She's back at Harvest Kids, and she had a huge trauma hit her family <coughs> recently. You know what's cool about Christy? Lisa and I have known her for about a year and a half, but uh, what's happened in Christy's life is that God has always been there for her, but now is manifesting himself in much more profound and deep and powerful ways. She didn't know a year and a half ago what was going to happen last week because we're just not given that revelation. But God knows. And God was preparing Christy. Does that mean it's easy for Christy and her family? No. But God has prepared Christy for what she's facing. Christy has a heart for the Lord. She wants to know the scripture. She's always asking me questions about the Bible. She's willing to leave difficult places. And she does have a listening ear. The reason why Christy is going to be okay navigating through the difficult days because all of those three things are happening in her life. God's doing that in all of our lives in varying degrees, or you wouldn't be here. Is anybody going through any difficult days here right now, financially, relationally? Is there anybody? Just lift up your hand. It's okay. Lift up your hands. Any diff relationally, financially, circumstantially? God, I pray for those who lifted up their hands that discernment will come to them, that the scriptures, Lord, would be so powerful to them, that they would love the word of God, that they would eat it, that it would become to them the joy and rejoicing of their heart, that they would continuously leave places of familiarity and comfort and whatever you call them to do, Lord. Help them to leave like the wise men left. They went towards Jesus. They went towards the presence of God. They went to where you were wanting them to go. Help them to listen for the voice of God. Your voice, Lord, your voice. Just in the quiet of this moment with a little bit of this music playing behind us here, just say, oh God, would you just increase these three areas, the word of God, the courage to leave places of comfort, familiarity, maybe patterns of sin, patterns that are not healthy for me. Help me to leave those, to go towards you, Jesus. And help me to have a listening ear. Here's what I want you to do. Ready? Especially for those who lifted up their hand. I just want you simply to ask the Lord right now. Help me to hear you. Help me to hear you. Jesus, you said, my sheep hear my voice. And follow me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You're not a silent God. You're speaking. There's a dear lady in the back uh, of this auditorium, and I don't really know you. I don't know if I've ever met you. I just want to encourage you that uh, I really believe that God is saying to you that I've always been here. I've always been right next to you. I've never, ever, not for one second, ever left your side. But you might have felt that a thousand times. 
in this moment, Jesus, would you just speak into her heart and her mind right now? Just reassure her of, of your presence, your power. Difficult days. We're in them, and more are coming. Give us this discernment, God. Give us discernment. Let's sing this song. Let's worship him. He's worthy, amen. He is El Elyon, God most high. That's who you are. Let's sing this song.